is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada's sports betting podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, Dukes of Hazard getting a lucky win in college hoops, but missing out on a big night because of keeping volume low. How many games is the right amount for Wednesday? The case for money lines in betting college basketball. Why don't I bet the dog to win outright? Then it's Let's Do That Hockey, where the model goes 4-0 in doing what we ask of it, but the players don't and introducing a new theory for this season called You Blew It. It's time to head to the window. Let's go! Welcome to The Window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. We're going to get to Let's Do That Hockey in a second, but I wanted to start off today's show with some college basketball. Pretty busy Wednesday night slate, and so we've got a handful of picks. Uh, As far as last night's concerned, I put another two sort of secret-ish plays on the Action Network app. Again, follow along there. Not hard to find me. Matt Russell, bracket, The Window podcast. Uh, But again, you didn't miss much as it was a one-in-one split. What I missed is not having a bigger night because I took uh, those two games, I bet those two games, and I cut five games off my list, and you're not going to believe this, of course those five games went four and one. Uh, Bama, Auburn, Dayton, Oklahoma, a bunch of winners that I just didn't pull the trigger on, and to be honest with you, Bama was would have been incredibly lucky. The plays that we had on the board that were on the Action Network were Duke, which was incredibly lucky. Auburn, I don't know why I did not bet Auburn. I couldn't really explain it to you. Um, Maybe it was one where I just, you know, we've won so many games in a row here with Auburn, and I thought maybe the secret was out with kind of a sneaky line of minus two and a half against, listen, a ranked Missouri team. So again, retrospectively here in hindsight, I can look and be like, yeah, of course it was only a two and a half line here because of that number sitting next to Missouri's name. And that's an important distinction as we talk right off the bat here is do not pay any attention to the rankings, right? That's sort of, it's as basic as it comes when it comes to college basketball handicapping is ignore the rankings. Those ranks are not created by betters. They are not created by sports books. They're not frankly created by anybody who knows anything about anything, but you know, Missouri, a really good team. Are they the ninth best team? Are they the 23rd best team in the league out of you know 300, whatever teams, all of it's pretty much meaningless. And we've talked about Auburn and this Sharif Cooper, um, version of the Auburn Tigers as at this point getting closer and closer to dark horse territory where we need to look at them as you know a potential threat here Auburn you know at this point is this program that is capable of getting to a final four just on sort of you know just based on their brand right it wouldn't be insane to see Auburn in the final four we just saw it the last time a final four was played and the way that they get recruits now and obviously Sharif Cooper being one of the top recruits you know, should indicate that there's enough talent on this team in a season like this where things are sort of off the rails here. Anything's possible. So the idea that just because they had a slow start when they didn't have one of their top recruits and now that he, you know, he's back in the fold here, they're putting up 80 to 100 points every game. You know, that has to count for something. Um, Dayton plus nine missed out on that one with St. Louis coming back off of a COVID layoff. Obviously the COVID layoff 
always a little bit tricky to predict, but we are seeing some sluggish play from teams, especially in the first half. They win the game outright, so probably maybe could have taken advantage of that. We'll talk about money lines and when and why and how to bet them in a second here. Uh, and then Oklahoma, plus four and a half, right? Seems a little bit too obvious with Shaka Smart contracting, it, it appears, uh, contracting COVID and being out for them, they end up losing, Texas does, by one point. And you wonder what, you know, Shaka Smart's presence might have made a difference, whether it's, you know, one point or whether it's more than that, who knows. But at plus four and a half, Oklahoma, certainly a good bet there. And then I would have lost with Pittsburgh plus three and a half. A little bit concerned about how this North Carolina team, as as somebody who's not a fan of North Carolina and the style of basketball that they play, uh, just volleyballing the ball off the backboard and getting offensive rebounds, like that's just not for me. A little bit concerned about how they're playing in that they're playing a little bit better and might be an issue here down the stretch as we approach March Madness. So, you know, five and two night goes to one and one because I was quote unquote afraid to make some of these bets. Now, does that mean we're going to pile in here on Wednesday? Sort of, <laughs> sort of does, and I don't know, maybe it's going to be regrettable and maybe this will be a lesson for us on Thursday to not sort of chase after a good night, um, you know, the night after you should have had a good night. But we've got a handful of plays here. Um, let's start off with Miami plus 11, uh, 11 and a half even potentially against Florida State. And, you know, Florida State's blown up a couple of teams here recently and with pretty low point spreads where they just needed to win by five and they won by a billion, where they just needed to win by seven and they won by a billion. And every once in a while, I feel like a sport, you know, sportsbooks will plop in when a team's like red hot like this, they'll plop in just a completely outrageous point spread. They tried to do it with Alabama on Saturday by opening Alabama 13 against Mississippi State. That got bet all the way down to like eight and a half. And I think the game landed on seven or eight, right? A more appropriate uh, finish for that game. I think that's kind of the same thing here, right? I expect Florida State to, you know, Miami to hang in and then Florida State to probably win this game by eight or nine, something around that type of range here. But I think we're getting a couple of points on value with the Miami Hurricanes. Uh, Seton Hall plus one and a half here. We're going to get get into a little Big East here. Haven't done a ton of that, mainly um, with just a handful of teams. And I think Seton Hall is the first time we'll bet one of their games this year. But I think taking them at home plus one and a half, fading Creighton a little bit here on the road is worth a play. Speaking of the Big East, a team that we have been backing to various degrees of success, but a team we still have confidence in. And in a lot of, in a lot of cases, a team that we have confidence in Providence against a team that we have no confidence in, in Marquette, having just lost at home to DePaul over the weekend so providence minus one and a half feels like a steal i'm sure we'll come back tomorrow and be like it was not a steal not a steal at all uh back to the acc virginia tech and notre dame give me virginia tech on the road here this is a team that mar the market i don't think gives enough credit to and notre dame always gets a little bit extra credit just because they're notre dame it's obviously not a football situation but you know mike bray gets a lot of credit and you know the, the program that they're running not necessarily being the most talented team but still being effective um, gets them a ton of credit. They had a big win over the weekend um, to sort of maybe boost up their, uh, the concept that they're like this better team than they actually are. This opened actually at minus one and a half for Notre Dame. So the money coming towards Virginia Tech to make this a pick em. Uh What else do we have here? Arkansas, minus four and a half at home. 
uh, against Mississippi, who you know we backed on the weekend, got there with a big win. Um, but you know, I still don't really trust this Mississippi team, having backed them a couple of different times at home. And now they go on the road, and it's just not something I really want to deal with when against an Arkansas team that I think is actually really good. And they had a strong effort to come back and win against Auburn last week when we had Auburn plus the points, so we ended up cashing that ticket. But it was impressive to see them come back. Mississippi, I don't think, is anywhere near where Auburn is right now. Again, as mentioned, the Sharif Cooper edition of the Auburn Tigers. Uh, Boise State and Colorado State getting into the Mountain West for the first time. See, we're slowly expanding. We're slowly expanding. But this is just pure and simple. Boise State, you know, getting a ton of credit, uh, but haven't really played much out there. And now they have this road game against Colorado State. We're getting three points with Colorado State, so I'm going to take my chances there. A couple of other games here as we go up the board. Oh, one more game that I've made a bet on. Wisconsin minus three on the road at Maryland. Wisconsin coming off a loss to Ohio State at home against a Maryland team that is pulling off some of these wins away from home, but haven't had the same success at home. So maybe this is like a reverse home court advantage thing where they are not handling the fact that they don't have a home court advantage very well at all, right? Saw them get blown out by Iowa a few weeks ago when we had Iowa on the road at Maryland. So I'm going to try for Wisconsin here on a bounce back type situation. So those are the seven plays that I have in there. Other ones that I'm looking at that I will reflect if I've bet them on the Action Network app here in reverse order. Washington State plus 14 and a half is interesting to me in what I believe is a return game with Colorado where Almost pulled the trigger on Saturday with Washington State plus, I believe it was plus 11 or it was plus 10, and they lost by 11. Basically, they lost essentially on the point spread by a point. Now we're getting a little bit of an inflated number, obviously, going on the road to Colorado. Again, not much in the way of home court advantage, though Colorado, a little bit of home court advantage just because of the whole altitude situation. Clemson, minus one and a half against Louisville. This is normally a perfect prime spot type of play in college basketball right where louisville pulls off the late win against duke and as much as duke stinks and again we saw it last night barely covering lucky cover for us full disclosure as much as they you know they won for us yesterday you watch this duke team and they stink they are i mean relative to duke standards right they are a middling team in the acc but from a branding standpoint it's still a big deal to beat Duke. As sad as it was to watch Duke celebrate that win against Georgia Tech yesterday, like they were the team that had beaten Duke. Like it's like a complete role reversal where they're getting really excited about wins at home against Georgia Tech. That's depressing, but it doesn't matter. Louisville had to feel pretty good about that win against the brand name Duke. And now they go on the road against Clemson. And listen, Clemson, it's been ugly for the last little while here. And so the reason I haven't made this bet is because it has been so ugly for Clemson. But if they can kind of get it together here, this is a perfect spot for them coming off of a couple of losses here to get a home victory against, again, just another middling team in the ACC. Next one is Drake at the Missouri State Bears here. And this is a rematch from a game yesterday where Drake comes off of a COVID layoff and they get down 15 points at the half. And so I have to feel like expending all the energy for a 42 to 20 second half where they end up winning the game by seven has to take some toll on them. And so whether it's sort of the sluggish start that they had coming off of the layoff and then having to expel all of that, 
I think Missouri State here is in a prime spot to pull the upset. Small upset. We're talking about plus four here for Missouri State. But an upset nonetheless, especially, you know, considering the fact Drake undefeated, right? The darlings of college basketball with their, you know, incredible, uh, you know, against the spread record, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then finally, the last one that I might be playing here, South Carolina, minus four and a half. Might just be a little bit too pricey for a South Carolina team that, again, I'm not particularly convinced in. But we're talking Georgia on the road. You know, I don't like Georgia. Georgia's gotten me into trouble here trying to, you know, buy in and buy out of Georgia over the course of the last week or so. I think this is a buyout situation against South Carolina, so that might be an add as well. But now we're looking at instead of seven games, we're looking closer to nine games, ten games on the board here. Maybe even 11 or 12 at this point. So maybe we get loose on a Wednesday, right? But, um... You know, it's not something that I want to just dive fully headfirst into based on the fact that we have been playing a lot of, you know, you know, we've basically been 500 over the last week or so, right? It's gotten back into that level where we started hot over 60% and now ticked down to, you know, we're what, I think 12 and 12 here over the last four or five days. So it's not a time to necessarily push. I had a phenomenal question from a listener by the name of Ryan Ritchie last week on Twitter. And some of these questions that people ask me are incredible, but they also require a lot more than what I'm capable of sort of just typing out in a DM. And so a lot of the times they're going to have to wait a couple of days for me to gather my thoughts because the, the good thing is these questions are so good. There are things that in a lot of ways I kind of, you know, there's kind of oversights for me and we don't talk about them enough. And in this case, he asked me about money lines on college basketball and underdog specifically and betting these money lines as a part of, you know, when I like a game, plus seven and a half, plus four and a half, something along those lines where they end up being, you know, plus 200, plus 250, plus 300 on the money line. And I don't know if he was saying necessarily that like, hey, the games that you bet when they're plus four and a half, like a lot of the times they win outright, or whether he was saying just in general, these things, uh, these teams, these underdogs win outright. Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't know if he met me specifically or just the world in general, but I think it is an incredible question here. And so there's a bunch of different ways to go about it. So for starters, this season being the way that it is, I'm less prepared to start the season in college basketball the way that I normally am. Normally, you know, I take, you know, September, October, and I'm reading previews, and I'm getting sort of as deep as I want to get. Now, this season, I'm only focusing on essentially a few conferences relative to all of the conferences. Now, when we're talking college basketball, that means 300 teams in the entire quote-unquote league. Well, one this will drive you crazy this season with cancellations and all of that kind of thing, but also information. And so if we can whittle it down to a more normalized group of teams here where, you know, in the NBA, you only have to worry about 32 teams. In the NHL, you only have to worry about 30 teams. And I'm only worrying about 15 of those teams this year. So why would I worry about the Pac-12 and, you know, even the deeper levels of the NCAA, right? Like the Horizon League, the Summit League, et cetera, et cetera. It just doesn't make any sense, especially this season. Being that I wasn't really sure that we were going to have a season as it got slowly pushed back. So I'm only focusing on a few conferences, the ACC, the SEC, the Big Ten. Now there'll be some other 
plays here and there. The Big East will get on the radar a little bit. The you know uh, American will get on the radar a little bit. The Big Twelve. Um, also, you could probably include there. So maybe we're talking like four, four and a half conferences, if you will. And so the best way to do that is to bet these games selectively because you'll never be more locked into a team than when you've bet on or against them. That's just a fact of life, right? When you watch a game that you've bet on, you, you know, intrinsically know how you feel about one team or the other. And all that means is I'm just going to try to have a good spread record for the start of this season, right? That's all I'm worried about, right? Just essentially keeping my head above water as I learn about these teams, right? Just don't lose money getting too aggressive or too spicy to start the season when we don't know that much about these teams, right? We would have thought Duke, Carolina, Kentucky, Kansas were really good teams going into this season. None of them are particularly good. So now that we've learned that, we're building some knowledge base going into February and then March, and it's going to make our March a lot more enjoyable, hopefully more successful from a betting standpoint. The good news is we've been lucky enough here to be hitting at about a 60% rate for college basketball so that we haven't been paying for this information. We've actually been getting paid for this information. So as more specifically to his question, you know, so I'm not getting spicy in throwing in money line stuff and all of that kind of thing. But strictly speaking, yes, dogs of four to seven win outright all the time. But I don't know that it's more often than the odds would suggest. And here's what I mean. Let's use a five and a half point spread and let's use that as a plus 200 money line. Right? So five and a half point spread, any point spread is the suggestion is that there's a 50% chance, right? They're either going to cover the spread or they're not going to cover spread. That's the point of the spread. There's a 50% chance that you're going to win this bet. Bad news is, is that we're paying 11 to win 10 for a 50% chance. That's the price of doing business. But that 200 plus 200 money line, okay, as sort of an easy round number suggests that we would win that bet 33.3% of the time, right? plus 200. You win it 33% of the time, you're going to lose it 66% of the time. So spread-wise, no matter how you parse it from all dogs to favorites or dogs of any spread, right? Whether it's minus 20, whether it's minus one, it's always going to be about a 50-50 proposition. It's going to work out about 50% of the time. And it's your job to predict the correct underdog at a profitable rate or the, predict, or, you know, or the favorite at a profitable rate. But we're talking about underdogs here. So whether it's a plus 20, plus 40 in some Gonzaga game, or a plus five and a half, when you're betting an underdog, you're trying to win this game 53% or better of the time to make money. So separately, money lines, you have to literally, I think, separate them and grab them and grade them in their own category. So can you pick uh, money lines of plus 200 or better at a rate of 33%. Now, maybe those two things are attached, right? Oh, I can, if we're grabbing plus five and a half and just taking all of the plus five and a half games throughout this season, right? Every five plus five and a half point spread in this in this season has probably landed about 50% time the favorite wins and 50% time the underdog covers. It's the same thing for the money line, right? Of all of those five and a half point spreads, the underdog probably wins outright about 33% of the time, and the favorite wins outright about 67% of the time. So again, it just becomes your job to pick those underdogs at a better rate, right? You just need to win 35% of the time, 36% of the time, 
and so on and so forth up the ladder, right? The better that you do, obviously, the more ROI, return on investment profit, that you make when you're betting these games. So it's not really any different. Now, are we particularly good? Am I particularly good at betting plus five and a halfs that win at a higher rate? Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that because especially this season, I haven't been tracking the money lines of the teams that I've bet at plus five and a half. Like, sure, it's easy to be like, oh yeah, Missouri at Tennessee plus seven and a half. They won that game outright. And meanwhile, Virginia and Georgia Tech, I had plus, you know, seven and a half or eight and a half for Georgia Tech and they led the game, but they lost the game outright in the end. And so when we're talking about tracking this sort of stuff, I think you have to take the money lines and take and put them in a separate category. Because when you're watching these games on a night to night basis, on a day to day basis, the problem from a bankroll standpoint, from a management of that bankroll standpoint, is night to night, you bet six games, you win four and lose two, you net plus one eight, you know, 1.8 units. But if those money line parlays don't hit, you're digging out of your profits to pay those money line bets that you've lost. And there's also no good way to augment profits if those winners that you have are favorites. So you could win three games as a favorite, but you don't have another option. I mean, you, you do technically, right? Because you could alt line them. So a minus five and a half, again, say we're all just talking about minus five and a half. If you bet minus five and a half, and then you go, you know what, I'm going to alt line this to minus 10 and a half, because like a underdog, I think they're going to do five points better, six points better than the spread indicates, and I can get plus money there. That's a strategy, and you'd have to track that too. You'd have to sit and go, okay, well, as long as I'm bumping up these spreads to a degree of plus 200, how well am I doing on those as well? Everything comes down to, are you doing better percentage-wise than the expectation of that price? And whether that price is minus 400 or plus 200, you still need to be doing better. We talk about teasers in the NFL. Teaser legs, right? A teaser leg, the price of a teaser leg is minus 270. Sure, we get to throw them together with another teaser leg and they become minus 110 or minus 120, depending on your sports book. And the benefit is to teasing is that you get to manipulate the spread and you get to knock a two and you know take a two and a half up to eight and a half you get to knock a six and a half down to essentially pick them and that's why we do those minus 270s but the point is you need to be accurate to a better percentage than minus 270 pays out if that makes sense to you so when we're talking about game to game or day to day and you go oh man like i had all these underdogs but they covered but they didn't win outright that's what I mean by you having to sort of categorize them differently. So when I literally mean that, I mean, take your spreadsheet that we all should have that we're tracking our bets. And if you've got Georgia Tech plus eight and a half, that needs to be on a separate column, you know, far, far and away from the money line. And at the end of the season, calculate all those money lines, all those plus 200s that you took a shot at. That again, you weren't going to hit 50% of, you were just trying to, you know, 40% would be great. And so when you're doing that, you have to understand that you're going to suffer a bunch of losses in there. You're going to lose more than you're going to win. And on a nightly basis, on a daily basis, you're going to cut into some of your profits, no matter how well you did from a point spread standpoint. Sometimes it's going to augment the profit. Sometimes there's going to be days where you hit those money lines and you're like, wow, I went six and three, should have been good for about 2.7 units. But I you know, two of my six wins were plus 200 underdogs. I didn't spend anything on, you know, I didn't have any underdog losers that day. And now all of a sudden my 2.7 is 6.7. Those are going to be the good days. 
But the point is, is like, it's all just kind of the same thing, right? The prices are all stemming from the point spread and you just need to beat the price that's available, no matter what that is. So as we go along with the season, the more I know about teams, the more likely I am to have an edge, right? So later in the year, I'm more likely to take selective shots on underdog money lines, in part because wins are more important later on in the season as they try to qualify for the NCAA tournament. And oftentimes, if you're the underdog, you're playing a team that is relatively comfortable in their place in the NCAA tournament, right? They know they're going to be an at-large selection where you have someone who's on the bubble and it's more important to them to win the game outright. That was Those last few possessions are played with a higher intensity and all of those other sorts of cliches, right? Wins are more important to the middle-of-the-road teams, which there are a million of, by the way, and that the underdog is more likely to press hard for the victory. Next, the lack of home court atmosphere hasn't helped this year, with my belief at least, in a home underdog that can win, which would normally be somewhat of a bread and butter when it comes to college basketball, right? These road favorites of four and a half, five and a half, that look really attractive because they are the quote unquote much better team. And then they go into, you know, you know, pick your pick your place, right? Like Virginia Tech, kind of a a really good example of a team that beats Duke on the home court relatively frequently, often as a relatively significant underdog. Do we know for sure that they're going to be able to pull that upset off? Maybe not necessarily Duke being the greatest example because of how bad Duke has been this year, but like, is that home court advantage really there? And on the flip side, maybe what we've missed out on is some of these five and a half point road underdogs that can win because there isn't that level of home court advantage for that home team. But again, these are all uncharted territory, right? This is all stuff that we don't, we didn't know what to expect at the start of the season. And like, maybe we can be ready for it next year. God forbid if that's the same situation, or maybe we can jump in now and take advantage of this now. You could probably do okay just betting on money lines if you just ignored point spreads altogether and you just focused your full attention on just finding the five to eight point underdogs and trying to bet those strictly on the money line and trying to win a third of the time you'd have to be super selective and it's not that fun because you're going to lose more often mathematically right even if you're successful at 40 percent, you're still going to lose three out of five games that you're watching right and that'd be incredibly annoying over the course of an entire season like why would you sign up for something that's going to have you lose 40 percent of the time at the best case scenario so super selective and it's not that fun and so what I'm more into is playing them in a round robin on a busy Saturday or a tournament day, right? Pick out, you know, you're going to have your plus six and a half, your plus seven and a half, plus five and a half, et cetera, but pick out the ones that you think can win outright and throw them as sort of a lottery ticket type of strategy where you take five of them and you round robin them and you take one unit and you divide that unit into 11 pieces. So for the ease of use here from a mathematical standpoint, let's say your unit is $100, right? So you bet 110 to win 100 on your average game. Maybe the answer to that is, you know, you bet 11 to win 10, maybe you bet 22 to win 20, none of this really matters, right? The point is, is that you're taking one unit and you're splitting it into 11 and you're taking those five games, money line underdogs of plus 200 or better, and you are pairing them off in a round robin by threes. So there ends up being 10 separate bets on all the different combinations in threes of those five teams. 
and then you take one eleventh of that unit, that extra you know unit left over, that unit that's essential or that eleventh of a unit, that one dollar out of the eleven, that ten dollars out of the hundred and ten, and you're parlaying them all together. Lottery ticket. Maybe they all win as underdogs, and you would make a ton of money. And if you lose, right, you lose two out of the five, you lose three out of the five, and you don't win any money. If you win three out of the five, you're going to win one of those combination bets, and you're going to lose a bunch of the others. But because we're talking about plus 200s rolled over three times, right, parlayed together, you're still going to end up profitable on the day if you can win three out of those five. If you lose two out of those five, then you lose that unit. Okay, it's no different than just losing a game you know, either to start the day or to end the day, however you sort of want to, you know, do the accounting. And if you're betting 11 games that day, you know, instead of going six and five, you're now going six and six. If you're betting 20 games on a busy college day, right, instead of going 10 and 10, you're going 10 and 11. Not a disaster for a chance to win, again, quote unquote, the lottery type of money. Not literally, because you're not making a million dollars or whatever, but you're getting a, a massive chunk of cash. And relative to if you did them individually, again, say you take those five games and you do them individually. Well, if you win two of them, okay, you're up four units, you lose three of them, you're down three units, you're up one unit. That's the more responsible way to do it, right? Because you're up even though you've lost three out of the five games. But it's not necessarily the fun way to do it. And if you lose all five, right, you're now down five units. Whereas if you lose all five in the round robin, you're still only down 1.1 units. So I hope that answers the question. I know it's a little bit elaborate, but at the same time, like it, it all just kind of comes down to price. Can you beat long-term your, you know, can your percentage record be better than the price that these money lines are indicating? And I think a decent strategy is to just take those plus five and a halfs to plus eight and a halfs and as long as you're getting plus 200 on the money line or better, right, just try to beat that 33% of the time. As they say in hockey, let's do that hockey. Thank you very much, Laszlo. Last night, the goal, as we all know, right, try to predict who's going to play better on the ice, especially five on five, and then who's going to play better relative to their market price so last night the record two and two on the ice for a full split but four and oh in besting that market price and here's how so let's start off with florida and columbus so on the ice you could make the case we get lucky or however you want to put it with a goal two and a half seconds left in the game to tie it force overtime we go to a shootout we go to the overtime of shootouts if you will and florida ends up getting the victory hooray we won a shootout tweeted last night i'm on the roof doing snow angels just delighted out of my mind but the point is is how did we do when the teams were on the ice playing five on five and we did quite well now this was a pretty rough dreary game here where you know the quote-unquote better team here florida had 1.76 expected goals for and just five high danger chances didn't convert any of them not normally good enough necessarily for a victory, but when they com when you compare it to Columbus's two high-danger scoring chances in the entire game, where they converted one of those high-danger chances and were only good for a .75 expected goals for, 
you know, then obviously Florida was considerably the better team in a total slog of a, of a game. Sergei Bobrovsky for Florida, not very good, just good enough to keep them, I shouldn't say keep them in it like he did anything, but just good enough for Florida to force that overtime and get the victory there. But point is, if we're trying to predict who's going to essentially have the most expected goals for, you know, when we're looking back on it, that's what we're trying to do. We were successful in doing so next one up winnipeg and edmonton right expected the bounce back for winnipeg have them play better in that second game etc etc and they did right so they end up scoring three times on high danger chances nine high danger chances gave up nine high danger chances listen this was you know probably closer than the score indicated edmonton had a lead i believe going into the third period but at the end of the day, Winnipeg, 1.88 expected goals for Edmonton, 1.34 expected goals for. Mission accomplished when it comes to trying to predict that. And thankfully, the result followed suit. Game where the result did not follow suit. Calgary and Toronto. Again, the goal, can we get more expected goals for? We did. Calgary, 2.49 expected goals for, had 12 high danger chances against the Leafs for the second straight game. Leafs only with nine high danger chances and a 1.74 expected goals for. So again, Leafs not the better team five on five, but the Leafs get the one goal victory. So again, we were successful in predicting who was going to get the most expected goals for, just unable to you know, read the tea leaves, if you will, on trying to figure out who is actually going to win the game. And then finally, back in the Central, Detroit and Dallas talked about this game, uh, wrote a preview about how there was really no business of Dallas being favored by the amount that they were favored by. And so we were able to get Detroit plus 185 in this game, and it goes to overtime. And so before we even go into the deeper depths of the, you know, expected goals for and whatnot, you know, just the fact that we're in overtime with a plus 185 is really exciting. You know, when you watch the game, you go, they had a power play with four minutes to go, and that would have been obviously nice to avoid overtime. But with plus 185, you're happy to go to overtime and sort of see where the chips fall. Problem is, the chips did not fall our way, and Dallas gets the victory. But from an expected goals for standpoint, 1.11 for Detroit, 1.09 for Dallas. So an incredibly evenly played game, 7-5 to five in favor of Detroit for the high danger chances, 5-on-5. Five five. And so you go, yeah, okay, if we can predict, you know, it's not necessarily about predicting who's going to have more expected goals for all the time. It certainly is when we're talking about these, you know, minus 105s, minus 110 type money lines. But when we're talking about Detroit plus 185, if we can get a coin flip game, whether it's literally in a overtime shootout, whatever situation, if we can get a coin flip game even through the first 60 minutes where, again, 1.11 to 1.09, low scoring game, all of that stuff, you know, that's all we can really ask for, right? And then hopefully again, we maybe win, you know, listen, I'll say 50% of these overtimes and shootouts. Um, but, you know, sort of more than, you know, we're supposed to get relative to these prices. So if you're on the other side here and you've got Dallas minus 200, minus 210, minus 220, what are you doing? Right? What are you doing? You're sitting there going like, I'm literally in a 50-50 hockey game type of a thing. 1-1 throughout much of the game. Detroit actually scored first. You know, you go to overtime, you're sitting there, and I've bet two to one money, you know, two dollars of my money to win one back. 
that's not a, sp- a spot that you want to be in. So, you know, sure, Detroit was .02 better from an expected goal standpoint than the Stars, but that's not the requirement that we were asking of Detroit. We were just essentially asking them, can you be better than, you know, f- can you be 40%? Right, because then that still creates value. So an absolute truckload of value on Detroit doesn't go our way. Same thing with regards to Calgary doesn't go our way, but we do get there with Winnipeg and Florida. So again, mission accomplished from what we're trying to do. We're just, you know, we can't shoot the pucks into the net for these teams, right? We can only try to establish how we think the game is going to go and who's going to be the better team. And it isn't just the same teams over and over and over again, because obviously we won with Edmonton in the first matchup against Winnipeg. And so when you look at it that way and you go, okay, we predicted correctly that Edmonton was going to be the better team on Sunday, 3.29 to 2.85. We were just happy to go the other way this time, knowing that, or at least thinking that, the other team was going to be better. Uh, As for tonight, Ottawa and Vancouver, probably not all all that surprising where you think I'm going to go with that, but there is a preview on the Action Network. Again, the Action Network app, download that. If you go to, if you just click on any game, they'll have a little preview square there right on the main screen of when you click on that game. And if I've written a preview for it, it's right there. Feel free to go ahead and read it. Spoiler alert. I'm not laying minus 150, 160 with Vancouver tonight, uh, based on what we talked about yesterday with regards to that game on Monday. And then finally, Chicago and Nashville, just two games on the ice and both in our jurisdiction, if you will. And this game, I think, is really interesting as it pertains to a theory that I have. And so if you don't know, I've been tracking how this back-to-back and these two-game series are affecting... The results in the second games and so what I've found here is well a couple of different things so first and foremost 17 and 12 is the record that I've I have here tracking these games for the team who has a day off in between the back-to-back and has lost the first game and it comes back right so the loser of the first they have a day off they come back they're 17 and 12 overall if it's a straight up back-to-back they're actually six and one the very next day. So overall, you know, we're talking about what, 23 and 13 here for the team that lost the first game. So right there, that's a decent angle as far as like the revenge concept is considered. But as you know, I also track their improvement, right? So it isn't just so much did they win or did they lose in the second game? Did they improve their win probability, regardless of, you know, where the goals went, you know, who got the right, who got the luck and all of that kind of stuff who did better to improve their win percentage the next day and by how much. Now, it's been about an average of 9% win probability improvement the very next day. However, there have been teams that have played better in the first game. And I don't just mean better than they did in the second game. I mean better than the team that won, right? Not unlike the, you know, two of the games that we talked about last night. And so you're playing better in that first game. And I'll give you a couple of examples, right? Nashville and Dallas. Nashville loses 7-0 to Dallas, but 5-on-5, they were actually the better team. Dallas scored five power play goals, added a shorthanded goal, and all of a sudden that game's 7-0, right? Not something sustainable for Dallas. They play again two days later, and it's a 3-2 Dallas victory. 
our angle was that Nashville was the better team in that first game, five on five, and that level of strength is going to, you know, create some value for them in the second game and show that they're more than capable of winning that second game. So we're going to bet them in the second game. So then they go and they play the game and it's a much more traditional game, much more sort of 50-50 type style game, and they lose three to two. And in fact, they were actually worse five on five relative to Dallas in that second game. And so they actually deserve to win the first game more than they did the second game with regards to how they played. And so a couple of those situations have happened. Detroit and Chicago was another one where Detroit was the better team against Chicago, lost the game, and then didn't play better at all in the second game and lost. Uh, there was Ottawa-Winnipeg, first game in that in that trio of games. Ottawa, the much better team. Winnipeg scores a late goal to tie it, wins the game in overtime. And you go into these next games, whether it's Detroit, Chicago, Nashville, Dallas, Ottawa, Winnipeg, and you go, well, you know, Ottawa was the better team in the first game, so I'm going to take them in this second game. And then they lose that game because the other team ends up being the better team in the second the second time around. And so here's my theory, and we're calling it You Blew It. And the You Blew It theory is, is you should have won the first game. You played better in the first game than the other team did. And just because you played better than them in that game doesn't mean that you're going to play better than them in the second game because at the end of the day, this is hockey. And the reason all these teams are winning these second games of these back-to-backs is because it's hockey. The margins are so tiny. You know, we talked about the point spreads in, or I should say the money lines uh, relative to like point spreads in football and basketball and how there is no you know, very little plus 200 underdogs in hockey. Yeah, so you're going to not play as well the second game, but it's your responsibility to win that first game. And if you don't, you blew it. You had your opportunity in a two-game subset to win one of the games, right? Because most of these games, as we've seen here, are going to be splits just because that's how close it is. And so if you lost your opportunity to win the first game, it doesn't just mean you're going to win the second game or that you're going to play as well or better in the second game. You've essentially given all you've gotten, if you will. You've had your opportunity to win the game with how you've played, and you blew it. So based on these you blew it situations, the you blew it situations are 5-2, and two, right? And again, what that means is if you played better than your opponent in the first game and lost the game anyway, you are 2-5 and five in the second game, going directly against the trend of the back-to-back, right? The, the loser of the first winning that second game. So if we take out of the subset that we just talked about of the, what, 20, what, 18, 23, 23, and 13, right? If we take out of that, this 5-2, and two, or essentially 2-5, and five, the percentages get even higher, right? Now we're looking at, you know, a 67% rate and it moves up. And then what if we're able to suss out these situations? So instead of going two and five in these back-to-backs, we're going the opposite way and we're, we can then go five and two. So now we're piling up our five and two onto that other record. And now we're into like the 70% hit rate. So maybe this is all just noise and this is sort of a fluke because, again, it's still a relatively low sample size as we have only had, you know, 35 games here that have had back-to-backs, only six of them 
straight back-to-backs where you know there's no day off in between but the point is is that there is a couple of different trends here that if we see early on before the general public if you will and we're able to use these then we can take advantage of these trends but the question is is what do you believe right is this you blew it situation something that we can account for mathematically so teams in game two have improved their win probability by nine percent on average but what about the teams that haven't played better the second time around after losing like these games these you blew it situations so even if we just kept that in there and we just assume that it's a nine percent standard overall are we building that into for instance chicago and nashville tonight so let's look at that game so looking back at that game last night, they go so the game goes to overtime, Nashville wins the game. All right? But it goes to overtime if you're sitting there with a uh, Chicago plus 150 ticket, you know, you're feeling pretty good that at least your plus 150 ticket got it to overtime. But unlike the Detroit and Dallas game, the metrics don't belie, you know, an evenly played game. They have uh, you know, if you look back on it, 35.3% was essentially the win probability of Chicago based on how they played that game. So they were fortunate to get to overtime, whereas Detroit and Dallas was very much a tie game, if you will, an evenly played game throughout the entire game. So they go into, into or they come out of that game with a 35.3% chance. Obviously, a plus 150 um, money line indicates a team that has a 40% chance. So they played below the indicated line of plus 150. I, before the game, gave them a 42% chance. So that's why it wasn't a bet for me. It was only a 2% edge. Now, if I had bet it, I'd probably come here and say, hey, we had a plus 150 into overtime, happy to do so. But then we'd look deeper into it and realize that we actually were worse off, again, because they played to a 35% level and we were needing them to play to a 40% level. So if you believe in not necessarily the you blew it theory, but a you know just the idea that these teams bounce back then you're going to increase the win probability of chicago by nine percent which you know nine plus 35 is now 44 percent well again the money line is still about one plus 150 which is still 40 percent win probability so 44 percent is now a bet right it's now goes from my 42 percent to 44 percent and if it's my 42 percent if that's increasing to nine percent you know nine percent now we're talking about a 50 50 type game but i think you have to add it to the way that the game that they played in the first place so the point is is like based on the fact that they lost this first game now the number is about 44 percent and that makes chicago a bet tonight based on that theory now the you, you blew it theory would come in here if chicago had played better and they didn't right so there's opportunity here I think to bet on Chicago. Now again, it's a four percent type of you know thing here. So by no means are we expecting them to win because we again we think that there's about a forty-four percent chance that they win this game. So essentially it comes down to what do you believe as we go forward with this you blew it theory, because there's going to be some uncomfortable bets that need to be made. In this case it's Chicago, not necessarily a you blew it candidate, but come Thursday, and we'll talk about this more tomorrow with a handful of games, a ton of back-to-back back ends, we can sort of put this into place just as a matter of tracking. You don't even need to bet it. We're just going to keep tracking this 
if you don't feel comfortable betting it, especially considering there's a bunch of candidates in the Eastern Division and in the West Division for this theory. So hopefully some of that made sense. That's a wrap for today. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Continue to share it around. I hear from people all over, so we're getting into different states, different provinces. Just need to spread the word, right? Until tomorrow, I'll see you at the window.